to do this right in this transformation, a lot of stuff that's going to happen is very unsexy. But what I've seen throughout my time is although it's unsexy, it is absolutely effective. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. Today, the customer experience looks much different than it did a few mere months ago. Consumer packaged goods in particular have had to completely transform their retail presence from primarily on the shelf to online distribution, and brands in every industry have pivoted quickly and in many cases are focusing primarily on digital. On this week's episode, I'm sitting down with digital experience expert, Victor Lee, a seasoned expert who's led marketing and experience for RX Bar and Asbro, including some of the premier properties like Power Rangers and Monopoly. He'll give us some great insights into the future of customer experience. So thanks, Victor. I appreciate you joining us today. Very excited to spend a little time talking. You you were digital long before it was cool to be digital. When you look at 15 or so years of going through all this stuff. First off, thank you for having me on. But I usually tell people that uh, I was part of the really big digital boom, but it was really by accident. It really started at a very small agency in Boston. And there was a dot-com client and our our head, our president, CEO, found, co-founder, said, who wants to run this business? It has to do with the internet and the web. And it was really whoever raised their hand first. So I just happened to be lucky at the time and learned everything from there on. It's really interesting to see over that time. I actually worked at Yahoo about the same time. And so it's been interesting to see customer expectations change as we've gotten more and more interested in how digital can help us. How have you seen consumer expectations change from the time you raised your hand to today? I think the biggest thing I've noticed is impatience early, early on. Even if you go back to your Yahoo days, digital was a cool, fun little thing you would do to either kill time or just explore things. Matter of fact, the the internet and and I think the first banner ad that was done by AT&T that was on a Wired magazine or hotwired.com, I believe, the message of that was really introducing the internet of possibilities. And Early on, that's what it was. It was just, here's some cool things you can do. And now I think as people, we've become so reliant on digital that we've become way too uh, critical and anxious when we don't get what we need. And, and you just look at personal human behavior. If you're searching for something on your phone and in the back of your mind, you have a sense of what you want, but then the search results don't come up to what you're thinking you're wanting, you're frustrated. And you actually go back and retype a different search with one or two word changes versus the next page. And we've become so impatient now because we've used the web and and digital in our phones as a crutch. So I think that's what has shifted. And so how do brands react to that? You you think about what's the challenge, and obviously we talk about COVID a little bit and how that's been a, a bit of an accelerant to the changing nature of digital expectations, but those things were in place before. How are companies taking those trends and turning them into action so they can have, you know, the next 10 years of success? I think the main thing brands and companies should do in the time we're in now, and even moving forward, even after the pandemic, is apply a lot of uh, empathy and compassion. It is the empathy of having been a part of what they've gone through. And it's the compassion of knowing what they're going through. And, And when somebody's looking for something, 
understand. And, and this used to be an old measurement in digital of, of how many clicks can you cut down? And if it's a 10 click process to buy something, can you make it five? It's the same thing here, except that if it's not to buy something, it's to get the information, it's to get the answer. And I think brands should focus on with so much information and data coming in, they can quantify what somebody's looking for and provide them that answer quickly so they're not frustrated versus try to hit them over the head with 20 different items. It's the old thing of if you buy this, you should buy all this versus I think this is what you're looking for. Let me make your experience fast. Let me make your experience really without barriers. It's interesting, though, because you still see companies racing whether they're trying to provide content inside a buyer's journey or they're trying to provide something through a retail experience where they're all trying to do the predictive Netflix, Amazon model of if you like this, then you'd like this. Do you think that that's going to backfire for those brands? I don't think it'll backfire. I think the use of content, the use of the right type of marketing and message, I think if you use it the right way, it works. I would never say to any company or brand that having content on your site is is worthless and it kills time. Just knowing when to employ it is probably when. A quick side example would be if somebody searched for something, let's say we were selling television sets. If somebody searched a 50-inch digital TV, then the content we have should be showing how crisp that digital TV is at 50 inches. But instead, we shouldn't be feeding them an endless digital aisle of digital TVs ranging from 20 inches to 90 inches and 4K and digital and all this stuff. I think some companies feel that they they just need to slam everything in front and hopefully it funnels into you'll find what you want if we give you a lot of options. It's not a buffet anymore where anybody can get a sample of everything. Consumers really know what they want. You've got huge experience on in the consumer packaged goods side of things. And as you looked at what was happening in retail before March and what has happened as a result of COVID, what do you think the new normal for retail is going to look like? I think there's a couple areas on there. One is if you were a retailer or a brand and in your day-to-day conversations, you spend more time, resource, and effort talking about the retail space, the physical retail space, and 10, 20% talking about the digital retail space or the digital aisles or fulfillment or supply chain in terms of digital, I think that's flipped on its head because the worst thing that happened to a brand during this pandemic is when they woke up and realized stores were closed and suddenly somebody gets a phone call that says, why isn't our website selling direct efficiently? Why isn't our Amazon strategy more efficient? Why are we seeing smaller and bigger competitors just winning every buy box, winning everything that we're doing in media and Amazon. And I think a lot of people were talking about it pre-pandemic. And I think it ended up being a, we're not sure how to start. We're not sure where to start. We're not sure we want to spend the money to start because we have the big boxes, the Walmarts, the Costco's, the Targets, or whoever it is that are breathing down our neck. And they wield a really strong fist, so to say, because of their, their spending buying power. And now pandemic hits, stores close, limited people are allowed into stores a certain amount of time and they're buying essentials. I think for some brands and companies, that was a wake-up call. It's really interesting. You know, my business is, you know, we help companies do digital transformation. We find that the paradox of choice is a real problem. You know, if the business problem we're trying to solve is a move to digital transformation through the minds of these of these companies, where do they start? What I usually tell companies, and, and I've done it uh, within the companies I've worked for as well, is 
You start at the end, you paint your utopian picture. We want a seamless, agile, and effective way of selling products, goods, or services online. We want a centralized area where all the data and information flows through securely and that we can, with a quick hit of a keystroke, be able to segment and disseminate information so that our strategy and analytics people can start to build programs around it to optimize. So that's going to be common set with everybody. And then when you start looking into, okay, how can we do this? You start finding out which ones are going to be harder and which ones you only need duct tape to get it running to get started going. Meaning if your operations or your supply chain, if you're physically selling goods, if you're unable to fulfill mass quantities of online order based on the consumer expectations, Amazon has changed people's mind. If you're not giving it to me in two days or if you're not giving it to me free, I'm not sure I want it. So if your economics don't work or if your operations aren't working, you probably need to start thinking about that. Customer experience is a catch-all term. One customer might value speed, or one values convenience. But what is certainly true is that in this day and age, all customers want more of it. The external events of 2020 have poured gasoline on the nascent fire that was digital transformation. And where customers might have resisted the move to digital, now they're demanding more and faster. Now, back to Victor. I think what a lot of brands where they're misstepping and what my strategy tends to be is to do this right in this transformation, a lot of stuff that's going to happen is very unsexy. But what I've seen throughout my time is although it's unsexy, it is absolutely effective. It's absolutely more cost effective in the long run and absolutely delivers results in a measurable way. But we tend to see certain brands or companies that fall in love with the sexy. They fall in love with the, everybody's on TikTok right now. As soon as the brand gets on here, let's get on here and let's see if we can sell items. When Instagram first launched their selling tools, every brand was trying to jump on even though they had limited certain. And now they're saying, well, we're not selling off Instagram. Well, that was just a, a test run for them. That wasn't necessarily a means for people to buy. But if you fixed all your other stuff, that was the basis and the unsexy, you would have a very strong business right now in the digital space. If it has What's the most unsexy, high-value thing that you've seen? SEO, email. And this wasn't even 20 years ago, literally a year ago, two years ago, max. If a company or a brand, and, and, and I've done this a handful of times, where the expectation is for any marketing executive to come in is what's the headline they're going to make that shows that they jumped on the latest trend. I've done this long enough where when you look at the data and you look at stuff, you realize that if you look at all your possible traffic coming into a site that actually transacts, whether it is an acquisition or a sale, and you look at digital paid media, SEM paid search, SEO, you look at email, you look at the five to six possible ways, referrals and click and PR. I'm willing to bet a lot that you'll notice that SEO has the highest return in terms of qualified people that enable a high value behavior, meaning looking at a product, putting a product into a basket, staying on site the longest, purchasing, all those low funnel things. You'll notice that SEO in most cases, SEO would be the most valuable, but it's also in most cases the least 
executed across a lot of brands. Well, I'm a huge digital marketing nerd, so maybe we'll have a second podcast about digital marketing nerdness because I think it, I agree with you. I, I I think it is the blocking and tackling that takes advantage of natural human behavior as we now all have all of the universe's information in our pocket, right? And so if you can contextualize that in a way that get people to come to your site, good things tend to happen. So you mentioned, though, uh, you know, the blocking and tackling and the unsexy stuff. I would imagine in this time, this day and age, and you can certainly look through the landscape of bankruptcies and the like, that there are going to be business model transformations that are going to happen as a part of this as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think companies who are prepared will come out of all this in decent shape. I think companies who weren't prepared, meaning they didn't have infrastructure, they didn't have the people, they didn't have the right strategy, thought process in terms of this new world where everybody is ordering and buying stuff. You just have to look at the Amazon stock to see that it has shifted and it's not a temporary shift. I don't think six months, a year from now, once the vaccine is here and everybody is back into what their normal is going to be. I don't think suddenly you're going to see all these stores and restaurants and everything just filling up. And I think we have to get used to this uncomfortableness for a little bit for a foreseeable future. I think a lot of companies, you see a lot of these retailers that just weren't equipped for shutting physical locations down and trying to deliver online. They just weren't prepared for it. Who do you think has done a good job? It's a little tough to isolate too many simply because in the industries that we're in, it's hard because once you have a pandemic uh, shutdown, there are certain things that people just no longer need and do. And it's hard to judge companies like that. There's certain kind of, let's say, fashion brands. It's hard to say this company did well because a lot of people probably didn't buy a lot of work clothes. I think when you look at the athleisure in the day and age where Zoom medias are the norm, you look at a Lululemon or a Nike. I think they did pretty well able to jump on this because there's running jokes that more and more people are going on Zoom and they're not wearing work attire, they're wearing athleisure. I think companies like a Nike or a Lulu did okay, but I think they were also challenged with inventory because there's a challenge of getting the product in and there's a challenge of if they were in a state in the fulfillment center that was shut down and it wasn't essential, they weren't able to fulfill. I think there are a couple of the large scale kind of uh, quick service or fast food restaurants that did very well. I, I'm always enamored with the simplicity of what Domino's has done. They worked digital transformation way before it was a topic for all these books as they were doing the mobile ordering or the iPhone ordering, the iWatch ordering or everything else. And throughout this whole pandemic, they just upped it a little bit more by just showing people how they take care of more of the product so that you feel more comfortable which gives a level of trust. And I think companies like that, that took care of it, you, you see two messages now. You see the, we care about you and we're going to be clean, or we're going to ensure that the product you get is at the highest type standards. And I know there's a subtlety between both, but the ones that win go beyond the flavor of the month message, which is we care about you. Times are tough. We're going to take care of it versus we've changed our company. So that that's actually a great point. And it leads on two axes, both from the company and brand perspective, but also the consumer perspective. What behaviors that we've now established since March, what continues once we do have a vaccine and once we do find the quote new normal? I think what the last few months has taught consumers is if a consumer wasn't an avid online researcher or online shopper coming out of this pandemic, they will be. And I think the merchandising at the aisle isn't going to happen anymore. And Amazon used to win by that. You would walk into a Walmart aisle, see a product, people would pull their phone out and take a look at it on their phone to either find it cheaper or get it from Amazon, so on and so forth. I think a lot of that's going to be lost. I think people learned really quickly that 
when they used to think that online grocery shopping, the Peapods of the world, the Instacarts and all those, Amazon Fresh and Amazon Prime, people who never did it before, suddenly now realize this was actually helpful in my life. I think consumers, they've developed, because this wasn't a two-week pandemic, it was six months, if not slightly more, they've developed muscle memory now. And for them to go back to what it was in November or December is very hard to do since by the time the world, if not the country, reverts back to an older way, they've already developed this cadence of how to do things. And so I think consumers have, have completely rebooted their head into expectations of how to research things, how to buy things, how to get things. And I think that's going to hurt a lot of people and companies and brands who aren't quick to adopt or understand that. I'm clearly one of those people because I thought that grocery delivery was ridiculous up until a few months ago. And now I can't imagine ever <laughs> not. I mean, in living in Dallas, you know, we get our Amazon fresh delivered in about 90 minutes. So I'm uh, I'm a big fan. So th this has been fantastic. I have kind of a, a personal question for you. It's a busy day. You got a lot of work to do. What music do you put on to help guide your journey? <laughs> That's a great question. I actually get a lot of relaxation listening to musicals. And with obvious with the big boom recently in Hamilton, I was able to see it live in Boston when it toured, but also watched it a handful of times when it came on Disney Plus. I just it's uplifting in certain cases. It's a great story. I love it when the music tells a story. It, it provokes a lot of thinking because of how some of these musicals are written, because they weren't written as a tune for you to hum. They were written for you to tell a story. Well, that's uh, truly the heart of a marketer, right? Even even in your uh, in your comforting personal life, you seek a good story. Yes, I do. I do. That's great, Victor. This has been a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you today. I really appreciate it. This has been some really interesting insights. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. I love Victor's advice that brands that are making empathy and compassion a clear focus are gaining fans today that will last a lifetime. Throughout my conversation with Victor, four key points stood out to me. First. Consumers are impatient. They want their products quickly and seamlessly. Think about how you can make your online experience fast without barriers. Fewer clicks, more personalized choices, quicker checkouts. Second, digital-ready companies like Amazon have changed the game. Consumers aren't willing to wait for online goods or pay high shipping costs. Brands need to focus on the nitty-gritty operations, point of purchase, delivery, as well as new and more effective acquisition tactics. Third, when adapting to COVID, it's not about changing your entire company. The most successful brands show they care about their customers and are adapting to their evolving needs. But be clear, there are business models that are going to be at a significant disadvantage in a more digital world. And fourth, digital transformation is ultimately about meeting consumer needs. During the pandemic, online ordering and delivery became the norm for in-store products, but people didn't adopt it just out of necessity. They adopted it for convenience. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time.